0: Hey, gang, it's Jesse. Before we get into this week's show, quick message for you. Giving Tuesday is happening this week. That's the day when, instead of going to the mall or opening up your web browser to buy a bunch of stuff, you donate some money to causes that you care about. I'm guessing, because you are listening to my voice right now, that you care about public radio. I know that I do. I support my local station. It means a lot to me to have that resource ever available, whether I'm listening on the radio or... Via podcast or NPR One or whatever else, public radio is a news lifeline for me. It's where I know I can get thoughtful and considered, in-depth coverage of what's going on in the world. But it's also one of the only places in media I trust to go to for insights into culture and the arts, like the kind of stuff that you get on Bullseye. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not listening to Bullseye and then direct getting insights from that, but other shows. I think you know what I'm saying. Public radio actually needs your support. That's what keeps the lights on, keeps shows like this happening. And all that money comes from you supporting your local station. You can do it right now. Go to donate.npr.org slash bullseye. Then tell your friends why you gave, why public radio matters to you with the hashtag your public radio. Donate.npr.org slash bullseye.
1: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.
0: I'm Jesse Thorne. I went through a
1: six-month phase where I only would speak to my parents in the Pee Wee voice. (laughs) This is not a joke. (laughs) That's not true. I swear. um, I wouldn't do it at school, but when I got home, I'd be like, I want breakfast, you know? And there was a period, too, when I would force my mother to answer me in the peewee voice. <laughs> and so my poor, like, middle-aged Jewish mother in Queens would have to be like, I have eggs! I mean, it wasn't pretty.
0: <laughs> that man is Billy Eichner, and today, he has his own TV show. And it is great. It's Bullseye. This week, Billy Eichner. On his hit show, Billy on the Street... Billy quizzes bewildered New York pedestrians on the topics that are nearest and dearest to his heart, including but not limited to Britney Spears, Meryl Streep, and Madonna.
1: Meryl Streep is better than Glenn Close! Okay, I
0: agree with you! And then Ali Wong. She's a stand-up comic who recorded her breakthrough special when she was seven and a half months pregnant. Seven and a half months pregnant! So much baby. It was a tremendously tough thing to do, something she is still very proud of, but... She can't help but wonder, was there an easier way to make it big?
2: There are women, I I believe, out there who are just chilling. And I'm like, what am I doing? I made all the wrong decisions.
0: Finally, I'll tell you about the guitarist and composer who created Bossa Nova. It's all coming up on Bullseye. Let's go. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Billy Eichner. We talked in 2013. He hosts one of my favorite shows, Billy on the Street. Maybe you've seen it. If you haven't, here's the premise. Eichner goes out on the streets of New York City and asks random passers-by pop culture quiz questions. If they get them right, they win money. Only if you're imagining something like Cash Cab or something, it is definitely not that. The host is a manic, petulant, Madonna-obsessed man who shouts at his contestants, storms off from them before they can finish their sentence. And if they win that big cash prize, it's usually a dollar. The show's since returned to its home on Funny or Die. It's as great as ever. He just did a bit with Tiffany Haddish, where they tried to cast a new, more woke version of Hocus Pocus, the 1993 witch comedy starring Bette Midler and Sarah Jessica Parker.
1: Sir, it's Tiffany Haddish. Hi, how are you? Yeah, we're going to make a a more inclusive hocus pocus. Are you straight and white? Yes. Oh, no. Okay. We need Asian witches.
0: The show's best moments, though, aren't always with celebrities. Like in this clip, when Billy found a man with some very firm opinions about Meryl Streep.
1: Who's better, Meryl Streep or Glenn Close? Glenn Close, Bob. What?! Yeah. No, that is, is not old. the truth Meryl Streep is old First of all, her name is Meryl Streep, not Meryl Streep okay. But she's a porn star I don't care, Meryl Streep is old She's done No, it's Meryl Streep is better than Glenn Close Okay, I agree with you <laughs>
0: um, Billy Eichner, welcome to the show Hi, I love that clip That man is an amazing man He is, he is um, very carefully turned out Yes Also missing teeth Missing a few teeth, yeah. And he continues the segment after you have left the frame That's right. for minutes.
1: Absolutely. Like, I, I walk away, and this semi-toothless man, he may or may not be homeless. I don't know if he is, so I don't want to— He's
0: very sharp, though. He's, I mean, for a he's, homeless guy, he's got he's his very act together. sharp,
1: um, and he has some very passionate opinions about— Meryl Streep, even though he says streak, <laughs> uh, and Glenn Close. He really loves Glenn Close. He must watch Damages. I don't know how, but I he li- does it.
0: I like that he's a big fan of you, too. He he, he is emphatic about making the point it's incredible. that you're his
1: man. That's one of my favorite clips of all time, and I haven't heard it in a while, so that was fun.
0: I um I wrote, we have this thing called The Outshot on the show where I like recommend something. And I wrote one about your show, because oh, as I said in you. the introduction, I think it's Totally great. Thank you very much. And one of the things that I said was that your character on the show, um, I mean, we've only interacted for about five minutes, but Mm -hmm. you're not like that in real life. No. Um, That would be real exhausting. That would be a terrifying life to lead. Reminds me (laughs) a lot of Pee Wee Herman. That's right. In that it is very very childlike and petulant. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, for sure,
1: for sure. And uh you're not the first person to make the peewee comparison and it is like a huge honor for me just for someone to make that comparison because and I never thought about Pee Wee while I was you know started making these videos and doing this show but when people bring it up I think yes of course because when I was a kid I was completely obsessed with Pee Wee Herman for a period of time I religiously watched Pee Wee's Playhouse I would get up Saturday mornings 11 a.m. and uh, I mean I would wake up way before 11 a.m. because I was like <laughs> seven and I I loved him so much. I loved the world he created on that show. I love Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I love Big Top Pee-wee, the movies he did with Tim Burton. And I, I, there was a phase where I went through a six month phase where I only would speak to my parents in the Pee-wee voice. <laughs> this is not a joke. <laughs> That's and not I, true. I swear. Um, I wouldn't do it at school, but when I got home, I would be like, I want breakfast. You know, and I.
0: That's some Mr. T cereal. E-
1: exactly. Um, uh, let's not keep doing that voice. No, but um, That's enough. Uh, my, and there was a period, too, when I would force my mother to answer me in the Pee-wee voice. And so my poor, like, middle-aged Jewish mother in Queens would have to be like, I have eggs! I mean, it wasn't pretty, but I swear that's the case. And I just I just love Pee-wee so much. And so when people mention to me now that something about what I do on Billy on the Street is similar to Pee-wee Herman, I'm just, like, floored by it. I think that's the
0: highest compliment. One of the things about Pee-wee Herman as a character that is, um, you know, driven by his childlikeness. I mean, it's never, it, Pee Wee is sort of, doesn't have an age exactly. Right. Uh, maybe in some of the early things he does on Letterman and stuff like that, there's right. a specific age. But generally, he's not of an age. That's correct. Yeah. But one of the things that he does that is like a child is invest enormous stakes into very stupid, silly. Yes. Matters, yes, absolutely,
1: yeah, and in some I ways, that.
0: that's sort of the premise of Billy on the Street.
1: In a way, I mean, I'm, I'm a very pop. I mean, it, it's a it's a character for sure, even though I use my real name. But it it is rooted in parts of my personality, obviously. Like since I was a kid, since I was like that Pee Wee Herman obsessed child. I was not just peewee obsessed, I was completely obsessed by pop culture and the entertainment industry. And this is before the internet. So, you know, I, my father and I would read page six together, like the gossip column in the New York Post when I was like six years old, like instead of nursery rhymes, like I was reading about, you know, celebrities. So what I'm doing on Billy on the Street, although it's 20 years later, is um, really taking that to like the... 10th power like it's a very exaggerate, or exaggerated version of my id in, <laughs> in a way you know or, or what my id was as a kid and mm, I just said id as a kid <laughs> but um, yeah I I, I I enjoy it I think it's it's so silly it's so absurd like when people say the show is absurd I think I take that as like a compliment a huge compliment because you know that's the kind of comedy I like you know it's peewee it's when I, I grew up watching martin short love martin short you know um on snl and that's just you know i don't know i sort of not to say i'm as good as those people i'm not but i i come out of that tradition i'm inspired by those people and so
0: yeah i want to play another clip of you performing this is actually a clip from the conan o'brien show uh which is called conan um, <laughs> yes <laughs> this is you've done a series of Madonna-related Man on the Street videos. Of course, for them. of course, I have. Um, s- there's one where um, there's one where you go to see Madonna at the Super Bowl. There's one where you go to see her at Yankee Stadium. Um, yes. There's the, one where you go see her in Tel Aviv.
1: Yes. Well, the order is Conan uh, and the people at Conan have been incredibly generous to me and so supportive. They had an idea, you know, they saw my videos, they saw Billy on the Street, and they sent me, I did his show just as a regular guest, um, and I showed clips from my show, sort of typical talk show appearance, and then they called the next day and they said, do you want to go to the Super Bowl? We have great access at the Super Bowl, do you want to go cover it for us? And I said, yeah, sure, I mean, I can turn that down, but I didn't know what my angle would be, because I don't give a shit about football. <laughs> um, and yet it is a big kind of pop culture event, like it goes beyond football, and it turned out that of all the years for me to be asked to go to the Super Bowl, Madonna was the halftime show this year. And I was a huge, still am, like, you know, unabashed, unashamed, huge Madonna fan. But especially as a kid, you know, as a gay kid growing up in the 80s. Hello, you know, she was it. And um, she still is it to me um, and to many people. But it turned out Madonna was the halftime show. And so we thought, like, oh... Here's the idea that I would go to Indianapolis, to like the middle of the country where the Super Bowl is happening, and I would only care about Madonna at the Super Bowl. That I wouldn't care about the Super Bowl at all, and I'd go up to people who have traveled all over to come to the big game and ask them about Madonna. And when they didn't care, which many times they did not, I got really angry. Sir, you excited about Madonna? Madonna? Yeah. No, absolutely not. No, she's the halftime. And then the amazing thing is that Conan's show somehow got me on the field at the Super Bowl. So I'm on the field. I saw Madonna's show from the 50-yard line. And then right after the game, I ran up to the players, like, on the field after the Giants had just won and asked the players, you know, I didn't ask them about the game. I said, how did you like the Madonna show? show?" Um, And they obviously were like, what the
0: hell is this kid talking about? Yeah, we were
1: doing strategy in the (laughs) club. Yeah, they were like, no, I was in the locker room. (laughs) Congratulations. Man, appreciate it, man. You guys played an amazing game. It's something that was hard fought for, man. You know, we knew that. Did you guys see Madonna? Did you guys see Madonna? Hey, did you see Madonna? No. Oh, she's amazing. I was in the locker room. Okay.
0: <laughs> um, so this is a clip from uh, the third in your Madonna video trilogy. This one's at Yankee Stadium.
1: Yeah. So, so what happened was, uh, then after the Super Bowl, Conan sent me to Israel to cover the opening night of Madonna's world tour. Um, telling me he was sending me to cover me to cover the nuclear crisis between Iran and Israel. But I only cared about Madonna. And then finally, Madonna came to New York to do her tour at Yankee Stadium. And again, somehow I got access and uh, I was allowed to ambush Madonna on stage at Yankee Stadium while she was rehearsing. Uh,
0: Let's let's take a listen.
1: Rocco loves me. Rocco never met you. What? You're a weirdo. No, I'm great. No, you're not great. No, I'm great. Are you doing holiday tonight? We're not doing holiday.
0: What? No, let's go.
1: Let's go. Let's go. Hey, let's go. You
0: what? What? We're not doing both. No! no! Hey, it's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, Billy Eichner, is the host of Billy on the Street. Uh, this game is called Dead or Boring. Um, And you just, I mean, this is just like a young lady who looks like she goes to fashion school and has a giant blonde afro. Yeah.
1: What is your name, Miss? Pauline. Pauline, what do you do in New York? About to drink. (laughs) My best friend. You just get drunk? Yeah. No, come on. You have to do something else. Shop. All right. Drinking and shopping. Well, you look like the cowardly lion and I like it. Thank you. Okay, here we go. We're going to play dead or boring. I'm going to rattle off a list of celebrity names, and you have to tell me whether that person is dead or boring. If they're dead, you say? Dead. If they're boring, you say? Boring. Correct, Pauline. Okay, if you get seven right in 30 seconds, you win a big prize. Okay. Ready to play? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Put 30 seconds on the clock, please. Ready to play dead or boring? Yes. Here we go, Pauline. Dead or boring? And away we go elvis presley dead yes correct buddy holly boring no dead taylor laudner dead no boring taylor laudner come on audrey hepburn boring no dead randy jackson boring yes correct james brown dead yes correct lauren conrad boring yes correct jessica tandy dead yes correct heidi montag boring yes correct tupac shakur dead yes tiny tim winner yes you win pauline congratulations Ah! Ah! Yes, Pauline. Here's your prize. Oh, my God. It's paper. It's paper. Yes, Pauline. Yeah. Blank paper was her prize. (laughs) (laughs) She was great. She was fun. The, The contestants, the people I approach on the street, I mean, I do my thing and hopefully people like it. But really, it's about these New Yorkers. This is real New York. The contestants themselves, I, we literally, we decide what neighborhood we're going to, we turn the cameras on, the sound guy turns the mics on, the PAs are behind me, and I start walking. I don't know who I'm going to approach until a second before I approach them. Whether it's to ambush someone and, and scare them, or you know, with a lightning round question or a longer 10 minute game, we don't know what's going to happen. And so you're not getting a glossy sex in the city, New York, as much as I love that New York, but I grew up in New York and these are my
0: people, you know, like I love New York a lot. The person I imagine when I watch you on television is the person who, after one of these interactions, has to go up to that person and get them to sign a consent form to oh, appear on oh, television. Oh yeah, that's going
1: to be the spinoff show. Those conversations. <laughs> I get to keep walking because I got to keep shooting the show. But what happens is after I have an you know uh, an interaction with someone, whether it's for literally a second or twenty minutes, and you never know what it's going to be. Um, a, a PA, one of our wonderful relentless PA ha- PAs, have to go up to that person. And usually the person's like, what the F just happened? Who was that? What happened to me? And then they have to, we have to get a signature from that person in order to be able to use that clip on TV without blurring their face. And we don't want to blur faces because that would be irritating to watch. Um, yeah, it's a process.
0: <laughs> have, have you done things that are 20 minutes where you were like, oh, freaking nailed it? And the person changes their mind at the end and doesn't want to be on TV? Usually when they stick around with me for that long. Remember,
1: this is not a hidden camera show. You know, people who are like, oh, how can you do that to people? Are you kidding? Do you see what else is on television that are hidden camera prank shows? There are two cameras in your face and a boom over your head. And me, a very loud, tall gay man with a mic in your face. You know what's happening. You know this could possibly be seen somewhere. So if they stick around for 20 minutes, it's because they're they're cool with it. So it's rare that we'll lose something like the longer games, like the quiz in the face segment, which usually goes on anywhere between like three to nine minutes, depending on how far they make it in the game. Um, they almost always sign the release. Plus they win money sometimes and you don't get the money unless you sign the release. Um, it's those, it's the lightning round, you know, when I really ambush people and they're not looking at me and I come up behind it, I'm like, "Juliana Margulies! And then literally I run away after saying just that and then someone comes up to them and is like, Miss, do you mind signing this release so that appears on national television?
0: Almost always the people that appear on the show are, you know, bare minimum uh, amused and confused and often really enjoying themselves talking to you. Um, there's this, there is one woman from the new season of the show. Her, her name is Elena. Uh who I really loved. Oh, and I'm in love with her. So let's take a listen to Elena. You you recorded with her. The segment is you know t- ten minutes long, mm-hmm. five ten minutes long, mm-hmm. and the whole time she is physically leaving. She's attempting
1: to get on the subway, but continuing to play the game. Yeah, both of them at the same time. Let's yeah. take a listen. Miss Miss, you want to get quizzed in the face? You can win money right now on the street. What's your name? Elena. Oh, Elena. I'm Billy. Nice to meet you. Glad to meet. You. Well, I- What's
0: happening? I'm going out.
1: That's okay. This will be really quick. Okay, here's how it's going to work. If you get two... What? Obama. I didn't ask about that. Okay, if you get two questions wrong, you're out. If you need help answering a question, we can beg a stranger twice. You can compliment my hands. Do you understand? No. Perfect. Here we go, Elena. Round one, question one. According to Beyonce's song, Run the World, who runs this mother? A, girls. B, bears. C, Lorne Michaels. D, Freemasons. Girls. Are you sure, Elena? Yes. Yes, correct, Elena. Yes, correct. You're on to question two. Here we go. Okay. What? Nothing. Jeez. <laughs> question two. Who did Sinead O'Connor tear up a photo of on Saturday Night Live in the 90s while saying, quote, fight the real enemy? A, the Pope? B, the President? C, Casey Wilson? D, those people in the sample picture when you buy a frame? What? The Pope. Yes, correct, Elena. Yes. Boy, you would know it all. thousand
2: Million dollars? No,
1: you don't get anything yet. Oh, okay, great. On to question three. What are you worried about?
2: I have to meet
1: someone. I have things to do, too. I have TV shows I like to watch. You don't have to take the subway. Excuse me? You don't have to take the subway. I take the subway all the time. I have a MetroCard and everything. I was born in Queens. Ah. I love her to death.
0: <laughs> she's such a wonderful woman.
1: Uh, you have to people you really that clip really sells itself when you see her facial expressions. I mean it sounds funny too, but you got to go if you go on billyonthestreet.com we have the Elena clip and she's just priceless.
0: She stays with you
1: the whole time. It's a very strange thing what until the... the very end and then she then she storms off.
0: What What is it uh, What is it that you wanted to tell me about? Or you said there was something oh, you wanted to tell me great. about? Oh,
1: this is great. So, uh, you know, usually in order to see the full episodes, you have to watch them on Fuse, Friday nights, 10 o'clock, 9 central. Uh, or you can buy them on iTunes. But we'll always release one or two segments from each week's episode online, you know, on BillyOnTheStreet.com or on YouTube or whatever. So... Uh, and you can like Facebook me and follow me on Twitter. And I always post those things. Um, however, we put, well, so, so anyway, so we posted the Elena clip, her full clip online cause she was so great. And someone, one of the Billy on the street fans writes on my Facebook wall, Elena lives in my building. Some guy recognized her, some gay man in Chelsea in New York where we filmed it. Probably. I don't know if he's gay. I'm just assuming, um, <laughs> recognized Elena. And I thought, oh, that's very funny. A week later, he writes on my Facebook wall again, and he says – I forget his name, otherwise I would give him a a shout-out because I love that he wrote to me. Um, He says – "Oh, he saw Elena in the building, asked her – If she was aware of this being out there, because, of course, we filmed this months ago and now it's finally out on television. And Elena said she's been getting recognized in the subway (laughs) and she doesn't know why she doesn't (laughs) fully remember shooting it. She kind of remembers. She doesn't know what it was. She doesn't know what it's on. And I just love the fact that she is getting recognized in New York. That really makes me happy.
0: More from Billy Eichner after a quick break, then later. Ali Wong talks about doing an entire stand-up special on stage while seven and a half months pregnant. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the app that teaches you to speak for yourself in a new language. Want to gift something that could last a lifetime? Give one of 24 languages this season and help your loved one thrive in real-world conversations. Built by experts, not crowdsourcing. Rosetta Stone goes beyond simple vocabulary with bite-sized lessons. Visit Rosettastone.com/nPR for their best offer of the year. Merry Mingling. What does it take to start something from nothing, And what does it take to actually build it?
2: I'm Guy Raz. Every week on how I built this, I speak with founders behind some of the most inspiring companies in the world. Find it on NPR1 or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm the JV Club Podcast, Janet Varney, and I used to suffer from indecision. I couldn't choose between Star Wars and Star Trek, whether to call or text, or the best way to cook my eggs. But now, thanks to my weekly dose of We Got This on Maximum Fun, my decisions are made for me. Thanks, Mark and Hal!
1: Warning, We Got This may cause shouting, phone throwing, the illusion that the hosts can hear you, laughter on public transit, and death.
0: We Got This with Mark and Hal. We know what's best. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Billy Eichner is the host of the hit comedy game show, Billy on the Street. You can watch it now on Funny or Die. He's also performed on Parks and Recreation, American Horror Story, and Bob's Burgers. We talked in 2013. In assaulting all these people, um, have you ever been in a position where you felt physically uncomfortable, as in concerned about your safety? not really
1: um one of the I once went up to an old lady who slapped me across the face really hard but I thought that was hilarious I good for her she should <laughs> um you know I so far I haven't really been like attacked or anything again it's not a hidden camera show Um, sometimes there'll be some, like, gruff dude who, like, you know, will get pissed off that we put cameras in his face, you know, like Sean Penn without the Oscars, basically. (laughs) You know, um, and they tend to get more annoyed at the cameramen than me. Um, you know, you don't touch the talent, Jesse. Even they know that. But, uh, they really, you know, they don't like the camera in their face. So they might, like, you know, put their hand up or something. But no one's threatened, No one's really... I haven't had any, like, physical altercations with anyone. Um, Well, except for the woman who hit
0: you. Except for the one old lady who slapped me across the face. But I like that. (laughs) Many of the questions on the show are subjective questions. I mean, you're not afraid to really berate someone who disagrees with you on even subjects that aren't related to Meryl Streep and Glenn Close. That mostly, but often other things Sometimes. Um, and that got me wondering about game show laws. Yeah, we are officially a game show. Um, it's like in the movie quiz show, right? Where there's, there's a bunch of laws from the fifties about what you can and can't do on a game show. We are a game show. It is
1: a real game show. We follow game show laws. Um, and there are certain things we had to figure out. In order to be able to do that and do what I want to do on the show, which what is it? Give me an example. It's very complicated, to be honest, and I don't really understand. It was a lawyer, You're no game show lawyer. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, there are there are game show compliance lawyers, um, and we have those, um, and we but we figured it out. I mean, put it to put it very simply: for the subjective questions, uh, I just have to have my answer written down beforehand. I can't just make it up on the spot or tell someone they're wrong just arbitrarily. Um, and as long as we do that we're following game
0: show laws so as long as on the co- note card that you're holding it says that Beyonce is better than Rihanna
1: right exactly then, then then I can walk away from someone who doesn't agree with me and they lose and that's okay
0: <laughs> well Billy I, I love your show I couldn't love it more oh thank you and very very I much I really appreciate you taking the time to be on Bullseye thank you for coming on the show
1: thanks for having me I loved it
0: Billy Eigner, you can find new episodes of Billy on the Street at Funny or Die. You can also see him on American Horror Story, on the wonderful late lamented show Difficult People, so much more. He's also going to be playing the voice of Timon in the new version of The Lion King. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Next up on the show, Ali Wong. We talked in 2016. When Ali Wong walked out on stage to start her first hour-long special, it's kind of amazing. In real life, Ali is pretty tiny, and usually she feels a lot bigger on stage because she's so bold. But in that special, which is called Baby Cobra, she is literally much bigger because at the time she was seven and a half months pregnant. It was basically a smash hit, got great reviews, not because she's doing something so physically grueling that, frankly, I don't think I could ever do it in a million years, but because the special is unique and energetic and subversive and hilarious. She's gone on to act in a bunch of movies. You can hear her in the new Disney movie, Ralph Breaks the Internet. Just a few months ago, she released a new special on Netflix. It's called Hard Knock Wife. It's also great. She did the entire special pregnant again, um, I don't know how she does this stuff. Uh, it's genuinely amazing. Anyway, Ali was born and raised in San Francisco. Her dad was Chinese American. Her mother is Vietnamese American. Her husband is half Filipino, half Japanese. Ali has a degree in Asian American studies that gets put to good use in her act, like in this clip from Baby Cobra. Here she is talking about the benefits of having four distinct Asian American ethnicities in action in one house.
2: I think that for marriage it can be nice to be with somebody of your own race. The advantage is that you get to go home and be racist together. <laughs> you get to say whatever you like. You don't got to explain. <laughs> my husband half Filipino, half Japanese. I'm half Chinese and half Vietnamese, and we spend 100% of our time on Korean people. It's amazing. It's what love is built on, you know? My last boyfriend was Cuban, and his family would on Mexican people all the time. And I was like, hold up. You guys aren't Mexican?
0: Allie Wong, it's great to have you on Bullseye. Welcome back to the show.
2: Thanks so much. It's so surreal to listen to that clip. I haven't watched um, Baby Cobra since November, since I went to editing for it.
0: Well, you've been busy.
2: I've been been busy, (laughs) yeah. (laughs)
0: So I guess the first question is, um, like, what was the relationship between the plan to make this special, which is the biggest deal in your career? It's the first hour long special is the huge break for every stand up and the fact that you were doing having this huge thing in your personal life, having your first child.
2: You know, people had been talking to me about doing a special for a long time. And I was like, no, I want to wait. I want to wait. And you can wait forever because you can be like it can be better and. You know, working on jokes is endless. I kind of, before the special, I felt like all of these jokes were never really done. And then the first time I got pregnant, which was two years ago, I was like, oh, my God, I had all this anxiety about it ending my career. And then I was like, I should just do the special now. But then I had a miscarriage. And then I was like, I'm depressed. I don't, I'm not in the mood to do a special. <laughs> and then I got pregnant again. And I was like, OK, let's do it. Because if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. So it was more like, I mean, it was a very conscious decision to do it, but it was more a personal decision because I wanted to believe that, like, a baby would not be the end of my career. And I wanted to associate it with the beginning of something big and new.
0: Was that because you felt like other comics, especially women comics, had had their career paths altered by having kids?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there, there's definitely other female comics who are moms who are awesome, but it's tough. It, I mean, even now with having my daughter, it's I'm exhausted, you know, and it's tough to motivate yourself to get up and go out and do a crappy set where you get no money. You get paid in literally like a slice of pepperoni pizza, but that stage time is so valuable and you need it to grow and to do new material. Um, But it's hard to motivate myself to get up and down. it's, I, I mean, I can't go on the road for, she's six months old now. I can't go on the road until probably November when she stops breastfeeding. And even then, the idea of spending three nights away from her is, is pretty tough. You know, I think because it's really the breastfeeding that makes it difficult to uh, to get out because it's your it's your, your body's still involved. I mean, I didn't really completely understand that, but it's like for nine months, your body is you're the host. Right. And then after that, for a year, your body's the kitchen for the baby. You know, it's a refrigerator and stand up just involves your body. You have to take your body out. Uh, drive thirty minutes to Hollywood from Culver City and perform for ten minutes, take your body back in the car. And yeah, because of that it's 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 difficult, I think, for a lot of female stand ups who are moms.
0: There's also for a lot of people I, I this is something I saw when my wife had a kid, is that beyond the logistical challenges of you know, feeding a baby uh, when you're breastfeeding. There's also a really deep and complex set of emotional and chemical and hormonal things going on.
2: Yeah. That,
0: like, you think, you kind of make this plan, like, I can handle the logistics. I'll pump it this time. I'll do this. I'll freeze this. I'll do this. And then I'll have these days to go do something or whatever. Right. But the the chemical stuff really gets in the way of, of of those plans because it is it's the most important thing in the world
2: yeah well also the other thing is that you know when she was first born and she was um we were so i was so focused on feeding her correctly and i was having a lot of trouble breastfeeding and then I felt like all I was doing is focusing on feeding her, and then I would see my husband got to hold her and play with her and, like, lift up her arms and read her books. And then when I wasn't feeding her, I just wanted to take a shower, wipe my feet, eat a Slim Jim or something, and it was like I had no time to really get to know her other than feeding her. And I was like, all... And it's like, there's a term for it called grazing, where the baby, all they do is just eat with you, and they just associate you with food, and that's it. And so I was like, when am I going to bond with her? You know, like, actually, like, talk to her and stuff, instead of just focusing on angling her head to get her to latch on at the right angle and keep wiping her face with all the milk and getting frustrated from the feeding. So... Yeah. I mean, it's just it's a lot of time, you know, um, and it's great. But I think for a lot of women, you know, whether they're ups or not, just you take that break and you're bonding with your child and you're feeding your child. And then it's really hard to get pulled apart. And imagine spending like a whole day without your baby because you just don't know what that's like. And it's it's, it's scary. Like now I think about just I just think about that part in Blackfish where they separate the mama whale from the baby whale. And I like I start crying because <laughs> I'm like, that's it's uh, it, it really it's hormones, <laughs> you know,
0: that's hormone emotions.
2: Yeah. So but luckily, you know, we've gotten her to go down at 8 p.m. So I've still been able to go out at night and do sets.
0: It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the comedian Ali Wong. Her latest special is called Hard Knock Wife. It's out now on Netflix. You know, you're special despite the fact that you are super pregnant. You're not doing material about being super pregnant at all. Almost. No. I mean you, you do the... a quick second joke when you walk on stage that you almost have to do something to acknowledge it. Right. But that's it. Just one line joke and then you're into your other material.
2: Yeah, because it's the It's the first thing that I've ever put out that's my own. And I've been doing stand-up for, like, 11 years. So some of those jokes, like the skater joke about how, uh, you know, don't date skaters unless you want to wake up on a mattress in a kitchen. That joke is so old. I haven't a skater in, like, (laughs) nine years, you know? And so it's like (laughs) that joke is so old. And that joke about, uh, you know, some useful advice for my asian american brothers and sisters never go paintballing with a vietnam veteran that's like i wrote that when i was like in high school and i went paintballing and my you know friend's dad like went to town on me for i i don't know what reason but i know that he served and it freaked me out and my parents were like that must be why and so some of those jokes are so old and
0: your parents the voices of experience yes like we know a little something <laughs> about being asian americans sweetheart
2: and so like you know a, so that special is like um it's not just like one month of material that i built up it's a carefully curated set of jokes from like ever since i started doing stand up basically and being pregnant is a very small part of all of that.
0: Um, I want to play a clip from the special. And one of the things that a lot of the material is about, um, basically how you got to where you are, how you got from, uh, you know, being a whatever, a 23-year-old that just graduated college when you started doing stand-up to being an adult married mom. Um, And so this is you early on in the special talking about why you pack your husband's lunch
2: i don't feed him out of the goodness of my heart i do it as an investment in my financial future (laughs) because i don't want to work anymore I've been reading that book by Sheryl Sandberg. She's the COO of Facebook. And she wrote that book that got women all riled up about our careers, talking about how we as women should challenge ourselves to sit at the table and rise to the top. And her book is called Lean In. Well, I don't wanna lean in, okay? I wanna lie down. To lie the f out. I think feminism is the worst thing that ever happened to women. Our job used to be no job. We had it so good. We could have done the smart thing, which would have been to continue playing dumb for the next century and be like, we're dumb women. We don't know how to do anything. So, I guess we better just stay at home all day and eat snacks and watch Ellen.
0: Um, so, Allie, uh, as you're doing that joke, you are super pregnant and working.
2: Right. Telling that <laughs> joke is
0: you working. Yeah. And there's a lot of material around those themes, especially early in the special.
2: Yeah.
0: Tell me about where that material comes from and sort of what your perspective is on it
2: well i mean so i obviously love stand-up and i have been doing it pretty much nonstop. besides my honeymoon and after i had a c-section those are the two big breaks i took from stand-up but other than that i've been performing pretty much every other night uh it's very rare for me to go like three nights in a row without performing stand-up so i obviously love it very much um but there's all sorts of other stuff I have to do besides stand-up. Like, I, I, you know, I write and for a TV show, and then I also sometimes do punch-up on movies. And it's, like, it's exhausting. Like, that stuff, I I like it, I don't love it. And I'm exhausted. And, like, after, you know, like, I do that and I'm tired and I see these women who seemingly seem to be just chilling hanging out all day the the hardest decision they have to make every day is what juice am I going to drink what juice has the most compelling story what <laughs> vegetables have the most interesting origin tales and they're just sitting at you know like like at Whole Foods like inspecting all these juices and reading and I'm like I am so jealous that this appears to me to be your life and I'm sure it's not, you know, um, because now after being a mom and like staying home with her by myself for a very short period of time, I'm like, this is scary. I want to go back to work. <laughs> this is no picnic either, you know, but just the idea of like there are women, I, I believe, out there who are just chilling. And I'm like, what am I doing? I made all the wrong decisions.
0: It's like you're It's like you telling me that you believe in a griffin or something like totally. that. Totally. Or like I, <laughs> ghosts are real.
2: Yeah. There are
0: women <laughs> who are chilling. I can see it in their eyes. But it feels like when you're talking about that, I mean, what it really feels like is what you're talking about is, you know, as badly as you might want that sometimes – you are obviously so deeply committed to your work and your career and, and you know, expressing yourself being who you are, that's yeah. just self-evident in what you're doing on stage, that it, it feels like in some ways you're, you know, what you're really talking about is the fact that that actually isn't a real thing that exists. And in fact, that, you know, especially when you are, you know when you're in a sexist society um you know which fundamentally structurally we're in to some extent um uh, there is this contradiction which is yes you can have you can follow your dreams but you also still have to do all of the other stuff that the generations before you went like men do a little more chores now right but uh, you know, you look at the studies, it's like men do, men have gone from doing 10% of the chores to 20% of the chores. And granted, that's doubling. Yeah. I'm making up these numbers, but it's something like that. Yeah. You know what it, I mean? That
2: feels right.
0: <laughs> that really, like, what you're <laughs> talking about is But in terms of, like, this... work,
2: women have, are expected to contribute, like, 50%. Right. I'm, like, deep in the trenches of that right now with that whole expectation to breastfeed and to, like, keep the household nice. But. Then also to like to work and to contribute just as much um, as the man, if not more. And so, yeah, I think it's I think it's about that. But I mean, those those feelings that I expressed are real of being jealous of this, this idea of not working anymore. It's really the financial responsibility. Like there's high stakes if I don't work. I, I, I really don't like that.
0: Yeah, that does stink. It stinks. (laughs) That's really a a scary thing.
2: Like, it would be awesome if stand-up was, like, totally a passion and a hobby. I mean, I would be pretty happy going out and doing sets every night for pizza. (laughs) I would be pretty happy about that, you know? But, you, yeah, I mean, I got to do other stuff because I can't just do that, you know?
0: We'll finish up with Ali Wong after a break. Don't go anywhere. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. In 1980, with a few thousand dollars and used dairy equipment, Ken Grossman founded Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Ken's award-winning ales propelled him from home brewer to craft brewer. Today, Ken and his family still own 100% of the company, one of the most successful independent craft breweries in America. More at sierranevada.com. This holiday season, we're flooding the MaxFun store with our biggest ever new product launch. 17 brand new items from some of your favorite shows. I bet you know someone who needs a new shirt or mug, maybe a hoodie. Cozy up in a pair of MaxFun logo socks or keep the sun out of your eyes with a rocket dad hat. There is literally no better holiday gift for the MaxFun fan in your life than some new gear. And hey, pick yourself up a little something too. You deserve it. Check it all out at MaxFunStore.com. That's MaxFunStore.com. Hey, gang, it's Jesse again. Just a reminder, this week for Giving Tuesday, you've got a chance to help keep shows like Bullseye on the air, going strong into the new year by supporting your local station. Just go to donate.npr.org slash Bullseye. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. We're playing a couple favorites from the Bullseye archives this week. Right now, my 2016 conversation with Ali Wong. She's an actor, a writer, and a stand-up comic. Her newest special, "Hard Knock Wife," is available to stream now. Allie, let's play a clip from your special, "Baby Cobra," and my guest is the comedian Allie Wong, uh, where you're talking about your mom. Your mom's so a, a, a lot older. You're, you have three siblings, but the youngest of them is ten years older than you.
2: Yeah, I was an accident, so my mom had me when she was like forty-five.
0: Um, and and this is this is you talking about trying to declutter your mom's house
2: the last time i was at home in san francisco i was trying to help her get rid of (laughs) don't ever do that with your mom it was like the worst experience of my life it was so emotional we were screaming and fighting and yelling and it all came to a climax when she refused to let go of a texas instruments ti-82 manual The Manuel. She don't even know where the calculator is. Those of you under 25 probably don't know what that calculator is. It was this calculator that bamboozled my generation. We were all required to buy it when we were in eighth grade. It cost like $200 and everybody thought it was like this Judy Jetson's laptop from the future. All because what it could grab.
0: You really left out some of the key features of the TI-82 calculator.
2: Yeah, you could type in stuff. Yeah,
0: you could save the <laughs> answers in it. That's number one. <laughs> you could put your answers into the TI-82. I mean, not the answers necessarily, unless you had access to the text. And it to took forever,
2: and there was no autocorrect or anything. There was, you had
0: you to... could play video games on it, though.
2: You could play video games?
0: Like terrible text-based video games. Yeah, terrible. Drug Wars. You could play. You had to give it to your nerdiest friend because yeah. they were the only one who knew how to get the games inside of it. But the two main things you could do was hide the formulas, like the quadratic equation. If you didn't yes. want to memorize it, you could hide that in your graphing calculator. And then the other thing was, not that I would ever do such a thing, and children who are listening should not do that. They should do, study hard and don't do drugs. But um, you could hide the answers in there, and then you could play Drug Wars and Centipede on it.
2: But to do all of that was so laborious.
0: You need the manual.
2: You need the one thing. (laughs) (laughs) It would take like an hour to enter in a quadratic formula to cheat. It was like so much effort to cheat with that calculator. (laughs) I mean, it was like, and that fight is real. Like my mom and I, like I remember, I think, I know I was crying. I'm not sure if she was crying, but there was yelling. And we were like tug of war, like yanking that book between us because i was like mom like i just i want you to be able to let go of this you know like mentally but she um you know and i think it's funny because a lot of people seem to resonate with that especially like immigrant kids because their parents came with nothing and you would think that because they came with nothing they're like i don't need nothing but really they're like i need to keep everything because i can Now and I and that whole idea of like I never know when I might need it because they don't want to buy it again because they're cheap.
0: Well, I mean they're scared.
2: They're scared. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, it's just like a big generational discrepancy because now I'm of the you know, the generation where it's all about like decluttering and we have too much and so and there's a lot of like tension between me and my mom because of that.
0: The other thing that you're special is about, I think is having this idea in your head that you have to trick someone into liking you and maybe supporting you and then falling in love, actually. Mm-hmm. And, like, realizing that as, as much as you might plan to these tricks, right, these ideas, these schemes, as much as you might come up with schemes while you're sitting around the house, maybe actually you love your husband and he loves you And the other parts maybe also don't even work, aren't even going to work out.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, that is basically what happened. (laughs) And I mean, even with um, my husband, I was like totally initially attracted to all of this superficial stuff. Like he was, you know, the first things I learned about him was that he graduated from Harvard and he was really good looking. And then like the reality is when we first went out on our first date, he like didn't even pay he actually borrowed money from me and i was like what what is up with this dude and
0: he was did he borrow money from you above and beyond the bill like was he like could you pay for the pizza and can you hit me with 20 bucks no let me let me hold 20 bucks real quick
2: (laughs) he was just like he was like i it was cash only and he was like oh i don't have cash (laughs) and i was like oh my god you gotta be kidding and he chose the place too and it was a horrible place it
0: was your own fault for dating a guy that handsome
2: yes Totally. And then it was like he was a vegan. And at the time I was like a super carnivore. But then I just kept on going out with him. It's true. Like I really did just, you know, all that other stuff that I cared about fell to the wayside. And yeah, I I fell in love with the guy and he's great.
0: I want to ask you um, about something that you talk about in the special that you don't hear a lot of people talk about, much less um, do jokes about, which is that you had a miscarriage. Yeah. How did you decide whether or not to talk about that publicly and whether or not to talk about that on stage?
2: Well, I think I wouldn't have talked about it publicly if I hadn't have told so many people that I was pregnant right (laughs) when I got pregnant. I was so excited that I was pregnant and I couldn't have imagined anything going wrong. But I told everybody, like as soon as it got positive, I told everybody and then when I had the miscarriage, I had to tell everybody the bad news, which actually turned out to be a good thing because, you know, when I when I told everybody the bad news, all these women came to me and told me they confessed that they too had had a miscarriage. And I didn't know how common it was. The fact that so many other women have had a miscarriage and told me it did make me feel a lot better because i felt less alone and i felt like i wasn't this infertile freak for and it wasn't my fault for having one um because having a miscarriage it, it is so dark and it is so personal because it happens in your body and um you know a lot of there was a lot of humor in it i mean after that i found and that I ended up you know sharing on stage that other people could seem to find funny too, so I thought, you know, why not put it in there it It was the one joke that didn't always a hundred percent of the time when I traveled with it work super duper well, but i did I did feel really passionate about including it because um because I thought it was funny, and also because. I thought it was important for other women to know that I had one and that getting pregnant is not always this like easy journey, especially when you're in your mid-30s and that if they're having like a rocky time too, that they're not alone.
0: I went to, uh, uh, my wife and I went to the doctor. Uh, We have two kids and uh, have had two miscarriages and the most recent one, You know, we went to the doctor and she, you know, confirmed that it was a miscarriage and everything. And um, she's super nice. It was not our regular doctor, which was a bummer, but uh, she was super nice. And, um, you know, one of the things she said to us was, look, you've had four pregnancies and two kids. And that is a 100 percent in the normal range and absolutely nothing to be worried about. right? Like to have, you know, I can't remember what exactly the number was, 20 to 40 percent or something like that. Yeah. Um, of uh, of pregnancies are, are miscarried. And it's just part of the way that your body makes sure that the pregnancy is working. But at the same time, you're still both going through, especially for the mother, you're going through a, a real, uh, a difficult physical process. And um you know, and I think both parents are dealing with the fact that you are, you know, you have a lot of emotional investment in in making a baby. Right. And the, to have it change direction so sharply yeah. is just really hard to adjust to.
2: Yeah. And just also, I mean, I was told by that by my OB, too, that it was very common. And it's one thing to be told that it's very common and to be told the statistic it's another thing to put, like, a face that you know to the category that you are now a part of. Um, and, for like, even now you telling me, like, I, I feel like a bond. And I feel also, like, so much compassion. And I also feel still, like, less alone just by you telling me now that you guys have had two. But that also you have two kids. And it gives me... Like it makes me feel better and it gives me hope too. And I mean, even now with like every like every time, I want to have more kids. I have one now, and I want to have like at least two more. It's
0: what's the ceiling on this ten?
2: Yeah, <laughs> the ceiling is maybe maybe like five.
0: They're you know they're cheaper by the dozen, as I understand it.
2: Well, I would I would love to have like a dozen.
0: Steve Martin, yeah. Us that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but like with every pregnancy. Um now I'm, there's going to be that worry that like, is this going to take, you know, and there's still also going to be that envy, which I think is natural of other women who have never had a miscarriage, who have it so seemingly easy um, and that that's all normal, you know, um, and that it's OK to feel envied, that it's OK to feel scared and to not feel like attached when you find out that you're pregnant, I mean, all those things. And I wish women would talk about it more so that it would, it would, even though it is normal, that it would, that would, it would feel more normal.
0: I found comfort the second time around in, uh, in the idea that it's the, you know, it's the body protecting itself and protecting you and protecting the pregnancy that it is saying, mm, this one's not going to work. I better take care of this and we'll try again.
2: Right. I mean, there's, it's, I I take so much comfort in that too. But then you get people saying to you, did your doctor tell you maybe why you had the miscarriage? Or is there anything you could have done so that it would have stayed? And I went to an acupuncturist shortly after and I told them that I had a miscarriage and it was a, I went to the Santa Monica School of Acupuncture, which was my mistake. And it was like, that's when, you know, they have like, you know, what you really want when you go to get acupuncture is like a caricature of a Chinese man giving you <laughs> acupuncture. But really, I got this like, you know, I, I think she was white and she was like 21 years old and was just trying to figure out, well, should I do Peace score or should I do acupuncture and decide to go with acupuncture and told me that she had all these like hippie philosophies about how I should go out And close my eyes and spend time in the sun so that next time when I get pregnant, the baby will want to stay. And I was like, are you kidding me, dude? Like, the worst bedside manner in the world. But in that, she was, like, placing blame on me. And I think some people, when they ask you what was the cause of the miscarriage, in that question, they don't know it. But that they are sort of placing some blame on the woman um and and it's it's really intense so you know like i said just knowing that so many other women have it helped that i know have had it helped me understand that it it was not my fault
0: this is expectation that somebody that, that the reply to that question is going to be like well i can't i can't put my finger on it i was driving cross country on my hog yeah <laughs> and <laughs> And I I was getting in all these bar fights.
2: Right. Totally. Like, well, it's, oh, I think it was this piece of sushi that I ate um, on December 5th. I think it was because I sniffed whiskey. I think it's because, you know, I went running. It's like, no, none of it is your fault, you know? Allie, I
0: so appreciate you taking the time to be on Bullseye. Um, It was so fun to get to talk to you.
2: Oh, so fun to talk to you, too. It's
0: always great to see you. Allie Wong, folks. If you haven't heard any of her stand up, please go check her out. Baby Cobra and Hard Knock Wife are both tremendous. She's also a regular on the ABC sitcom American Housewife. Every week on the show, we close with a recommendation from yours truly it's the Outshot. How do you make music that's simultaneously peaceful and churning? How can you make something percussive without percussion? How do you evoke longing and passion without changing the tone of your vocal more than, I don't know, a quarter of a step? Frankly, I don't know. I, I can hear it, but I can't even quite describe it or understand it. There is one man, though, who can answer all of those questions. João Gilberto.
1: In 1957,
0: Miles Davis was midwife to the birth of Cool. In the early 1960s, Joe Gilberto made it perfect. <laughs> Have you ever seen an artist who works by subtraction? Somebody who can remove every unnecessary element, maybe even imply a few necessary ones, and with just a couple of lines, evoke a whole world? That's what João Gilberto did. He took samba, thick, propulsive dance music, driven by a complex African drum pattern, and then he basically took out the drums. Eu nasci com o samba. no samba me criei. E do danado do samba.
1: Nunca me separei. Samba da minha terra deixa a gente morte. Quando se canta todo mundo bote.
0: Everywhere where there was hot, he made it cool. But somehow he didn't lose the beat. It was called Bossa Nova, the new thing. I've been listening to a lot of Gilberto's self titled album from 1961. It's often just Zhao and his guitar, sometimes with an assist from the soft ticking of a jazz kit or the gentle sound of a shaker. The rhythm doesn't come from a long line of congas and bongos and claves, it comes from a moment's hesitation or a bent inflection. It's exceptionally beautiful. Very quiet, sort of
1: yelling. That's my app chat. <laughs>
0: That's all for this week's Bullseye. Bullseye recorded at MaximumFun.org World Headquarters, overlooking MacArthur Park in beautiful Los Angeles, California, where just yesterday I myself, very excited that I was the one who spotted this, saw a guy pushing a stroller using his skateboard. That is to say he was skateboarding with a stroller in front of him, shockingly fluidly. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. He had help from Casey O'Brien. Production fellows at MaximumFun.org are Jesus Ambrosio and Shayna Deloria. Our interstitial music was provided to us by DJW, a.k.a. Dan Wally. Got to see Dan the other day at a birthday party. Still more handsome than any behind-the-scenes musician should be. Our thanks to Dan, as ever. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for providing it to us. If you'd like to hear any of our past shows, hundreds are available at our website, MaximumFun.org. We're talking about now coming up on between 15 and 20 years worth. (laughs) Uh, Too many, probably. Uh, We're also on Facebook, on Twitter and on YouTube. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne and hit like or follow or whatever is the appropriate verb. And I guess that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off.
1: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.